Hey friends, welcome to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. I am so glad that you've chosen to tune in today. This show is a safe space with real conversations to help you live free and pursue your God-given dreams. Oftentimes, God brings things up because they are on the way out. Today's topic that God is bringing up is Tinder, as my friend shares her story of infidelity in her marriage and how by the grace of God, they walked through it. She offered a lot of hope to couples, no matter what they may be walking through. Let me tell you a little about my friend, Becca Mose. Becca is a Jesus-loving mom of five from the DFW area. She and her husband, Nick, co-founded Family of Hope. It's a nonprofit web-based resource for couples in crisis. Their podcast, Unfaithful, Redeeming Infidelity, reaches couples recovering from infidelity all over the world. Beck is passionate about sharing her story and breaking the silence on a lonely road that many couples walk. She believes that a healthy we starts with a healthy me and knows that journey very well. Becca loves talking to women about how to live overflowing, spirit-empowered lives, first at home and then in every sphere of influence. Friends, I know that this conversation is longer than our usual interviews, but I promise every minute is worth your time. Let's welcome Becca to the show now. Well, hello, Becca, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, you know, I love you and I were just talking before we hit record about how you and I have known each other for a long time. I don't really know how many years, but it's got to be close to 10 years, do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think about at, at least 10. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so Beck and I first met, well, I can't say this is where we first met. I got to first hear your story in a group that we did at our church called The Power of the Praying Life, and you spoke and shared your testimony. We might have known each other before then, but for the people listening, um, I read your bio in the introduction, and then I like to ask my guests, maybe what's one fun fact about you that we would not have read on your bio? Oh, fun fact. Okay. Um, when I was young, I thought that I was going to be in show business. I was determined to be a country music singer. I thought for sure I was going to win some CMAs. I was headed for Nashville. <laughs> and in my adult life, I have never picked up a microphone to sing again, but, <laughs> but I was sure when I was young, that, that was my path. Wait, that's not completely true about the adult years because didn't you and I meet in choir now that we I'm thinking did. about it? Well, we, we did. <laughs> okay. We did meet in choir. So, yes, but my hands never touched a microphone in choir. <laughs> true, true. Okay. All right. The collective voice. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. that's so good. So, you did, um, you don't, you don't do any singing though anymore. You just, that no, was a child ma'am. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I do not. I do not. I actually recorded an album when I was, gosh, probably like 13, you know? It oh, was, my goodness. It's, pretty priceless. It's good blackmail now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's a very fun fact. I, I would not have pegged you for a country singer, but you know, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I love it. You um, learn who you are. You learn who you really are as you grow up. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's so good. Okay. So you and your husband, Nick, you co-founded a ministry called Family of Hope. Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah. So Family of Hope was really just birthed from our story. We are a family of hope, I say. And so we just want to shine a light on on just a lonely, our lonely journey. We felt very alone in the early stages of our of our marriage, which I'm so happy to share more about with you today. And so we just wanted to create a space online for people to gather and for people to find hope, help, and healing um, who are just walking through a marriage crisis. And, you know, our story centers largely around pornography and addiction and infidelity, but people live in through crisis in their marriage for lots of reasons. So Family of Hope was really founded as, as just a home base, um, as an online resource for couples facing any kind of marriage crisis. Yeah. And what you, you guys have a podcast as well, correct? We do. So we have a podcast. The podcast is called Unfaithful Redeeming Infidelity. Un is a play on words. So in a hyphen that's, or in parentheses, unfaithful redeeming infidelity. Um, and the podcast is a production of Family of Hope. And it is uh, basically a resource for couples walking through infidelity. It's sort of just some of the things we've learned, some of the common steps and stages, common, common hangups, speaking to just some, some of the basic steps needed for a fair recovery. And so Yes, you can find that on most any podcast platform. Yeah, and we'll be sure to include that in today's show notes. I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew about that because I know as they hear your story, they're going to go, I want more. And um, so be sure to go check that out for sure. So tell us uh, then, if you don't mind, about uh, your story that you and your husband went through. Yeah, so my husband and I got married. My husband, Nick, and I got married when I was 19 and he was 20. You know, we were sure that we were grown up and ready to get married. We were certain. And in hindsight, as I have, you know, a 12-year-old in my house, 11, 12-year-old, I'm like, what were we thinking? Um, Our relationship was, I would say, somewhat troubled from the beginning. We were very good friends. We did have some healthy friendship as a foundation. So, Um, we did have that going for us. We're from a small town in Northern Michigan. And so we were, you know, in my high school, Nick was one of, I think, three eligible bachelors. (laughs) And so I felt lucky to have snagged him. And we kind of, we knew each other's families real well. There was a lot of small town dynamic going on in our relationship. We were both believers. We both loved the Lord. We spent a lot of our time when we were young in youth group together and, So we had a foundation of faith, both of us, but um, as many of you know, at 19 and 20 years old, it's, it's as, as, as real as 19 and 20 year olds get, you know, we had a lot of life to learn. So we really grew up together, Nick and I, and when we got married, um, Nick was pretty addicted to pornography. And that is not a word that we used. That's not a word that I knew. It's not something, it's not something I was totally aware of, although I was sort of, I would say low level aware. So we would have called it at the time a struggle. You know, we were like Christian youth group kids who said that, you know, he struggled with pornography. And we did talk to pastors and leaders at the time about it. I remember going to pre-marriage counseling and talking with a past, you know, the pastor that was walked, that was about to marry us about Nick's struggle. And I don't feel that a lot of the people in our life knew the kind of questions to ask and nor did we know how to answer them. So we kind of danced around it a little bit, but it's not something that we got 
much direction or help with. But I will tell you that I think the foundation of lies began right right there at the beginning. There were a couple of dynamics at play. And, and one of the big lies that we both believed was that the pornography would go away once sex was legal. <laughs> you know, mm. once we were married, we just thought once we can have all the sex we want and, you know, it's not bad anymore, you know, good sex versus bad sex. Once it's not bad anymore, then he won't struggle with pornography. Um, we didn't understand it to be a hard issue as we have come to know. And so we just thought the struggle would go away at the altar. Uh, I think the other dynamic at play is I was, I was very insecure and really desperate for affection. And that played a big role in, in sort of the beginning dynamic of our relationship. I was very willing, as many of us are, we can understand just being will. I was really willing to do whatever it it takes to stay in a relationship and get married. And I really loved him and, and gave, gave him a lot of my heart and, and he back to me, you know, we gave, we shared, we shared too much too soon. So there were, there were lots of red flags in our relationship going in, but we, um, believed we had a word from the Lord. I think if we had ever prayed about anything, we did pray about being married, getting married and, And I remember saying to the Lord in the early days when we were engaged, I remember just one night laying in my college dorm room and just saying, God, if this is not from you, if I'm not supposed to marry, I will, I will walk away from this. Should I do this? You know, is this, is this, is he for me? You know, is, are we supposed to be? And I heard the Lord that night say he would redeem our relationship. And I put all my weight into that. He's going to redeem our relationship. I just, I believed it would be at the altar. And so I just thought when we say I do, it's done, you know, the insecurity is just going to disappear and the pornography will stop and we'll figure it out together. And that's really where we started. Oh my goodness. You've unpacked so much already right there. And I think that (laughs) That alone, that lie that you said you both believe that when you said I do, all of, all the problems are just going to melt away. Uh, I can relate to that so much. I think everybody listening yeah. that's married can relate to that because we all bring stuff into the marriage. Um, and yeah, it, that's such a lie that I think the enemy wraps us up in. And then when it doesn't just all fall off, <laughs> we go, what's wrong with us? Oh no, we shouldn't have married each other or, oh, you know, all the things. And, and what was there just gets worse and gets highlighted and everything. So then what happened with you guys? It didn't, it obviously didn't just fall off, right? <laughs> that, that's right. That's right. So, you know, marriage is a magnifying glass and, and really marriage, I, I like to describe marriage as a mirror that marriage is my spouse is a mirror that reflects myself back to me. And one of my favorite, uh, affair recovery, therapist, his name is Rick Reynolds, says, my spouse is not the problem. My spouse reveals the problem in me. That is hard to swallow. That's very hard to swallow. And so I do, I say that as sort of a launching pad to say where we go from here, because when you listen to my story, it's real easy to say, you know, that he, that he was the problem. I think oftentimes we think our spouse is the problem, but, but viewing it from the lens of my spouse reveals the problem in me. I think is much more empowering to, to feel that we have some power to, to change our cycles. So I just say that as a launching pad when I describe where we go from here. Yeah. So, and I do want to, at the tail end of this, um, and you can, you, you could do it before or after, um, once they hear your story, what was revealed about you and, in, in you, because yeah. 
I just love this might be one of my favorite pieces of your testimony. I mean, your whole testimony is amazing and I'm, I don't want to do any spoilers. So that's why I'm trying not to, I'm like, I'm going to let you tell your story, but <laughs> your heart posture is incredible to me. You know, like you just, yeah. it's, it's unheard of. And that's obviously the Lord. So go ahead and share with your, your story where you went. And then I would love for you to also share what the Lord revealed about yourself through this process. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we got married and I would say our honeymoon period was rather short. I think within a couple of, I think within a couple of months of being married, the pornography started to trickle in. And I call these, um, it was like a bomb dropping cycle for us. It would be like some weeks would go by some maybe months, but not long, never more than weeks or months. And there would be some sort of a discovery, like either I caught him or I found something on his computer or or something, or he had a confession, you know, he would have like a moment of clarity or soft heartedness and come clean about, you know, what he was, he had been looking at porn and just struggling with it. And at first, at first it was very devastating, but after a while, it's something that I became pretty numb to. We felt very powerless to it. We both, neither one of us knew what to do, but to kind of keep talking about it to some extent, but it was this bomb dropping cycle of these periods of secrecy and then a revelation and then secrecy and then a revelation. So it just sort of felt like things were sort of sailing along and then all of a sudden crisis and then sailing along and all of a sudden crisis. And that is, um, that numb place is just a really hard place to sit. You know, it gets to a point where your heart doesn't feel pain anymore when you numb the parts of yourself that feel pain, you also, you can't control what you numb, you numb everything, you know, so you're numb to joy, you're numb to the big extremes. If you're numb to pain, you can be numb to joy. Um, if you're numb to fear, you know, you can be numb to being present in the, being fully present in the moment, you know, you just, it's a frozen, I guess in fight, flight or freeze, right? It's a frozen place to sit when you're numb. And so out of, I think, just a feeling of powerlessness, we just kind of coasted through this constant cycle of him feeling trapped and like not knowing what to do, how to get out of it, and me feeling pretty numb to it. So we lived in Michigan at the time. We moved to Texas, just the two of us. We packed up everything we knew and said goodbye to everyone we loved and started this new life in Texas, which is sort of another story for another time. But the fastest version of that is just, I believe in hindsight that it's like the Lord plucked us up with his two fingers and just planted us right where we were supposed to land for the season that was to come. And, and so we landed here in DFW and, and we, um, both kind of started our lives. Nick started his career and I was looking into going back to school. We got very involved in our local church and, and just jumped in with both feet with this little porn thing, like hanging out in the back, you know, like everybody's got their problems. This was ours. And we dealt with it as we, at the, you know, the best we knew how, which was not very well. And so I had, I had kind of started work and one day I came home from work and, and found some stuff on the table and it was like some paperwork from his office. And I started kind of thumbing through it and reading through this paperwork. And there was these conversations that he had been documenting with a, with a woman from work. And as I kind of summed through them, all this fear came over me and I just started to become incriminating. And I put, I stopped reading, I put down the papers and I, I, he was sitting in an office and I remember this day, like it was like, it's happening right now. It's so clear. These, these memories are so vivid to me. I can see exactly where he was sitting. And, and I just looked at him through a glass door and I said, did you 
sleep with her? Like, is this, and, and that's probably about how I said it. I couldn't even really formulate the words, you know, and I wasn't in my wildest imaginations. I was not expecting him to say yes. And I looked at him and he turned and looked at me and his whole demeanor shifted and he just hung in shame. And I knew without him having to say that that's exactly what had happened. He had had a relationship with a coworker um, and had had a couple of months long affair, about a two months long affair with a coworker. And he came clean in that moment. He came out of the office and he told me everything. And I just collapsed under the weight of it. It was like, I felt like um, some of the, some of the things that I had prayed about in the beginning, I just remember telling the Lord, like, I'll ma- okay, if you're going to redeem us, I'll marry him, but please don't ever let him cheat and cheat on me. And some of these words were just, and the Lord going to redeem us. And all these things that I believed about us, you know, just were mocking me in that moment. Like this is, I just know that I collapsed and I could see, I could recognize the past, still see the pattern of the rug underneath me on the floor that day. And, from where I was sitting, from my vantage point, I could see the front door of our house. And I felt like my only option was to leave because all I had ever heard in church, honestly, my only foundation for divorce and infidelity was that divorce is never okay, except for in the case of infidelity. I thought this is the biblical out. And really this is the biblical assignment. If there's been infidelity, I thought what I needed to do. So I thought this is what we had come to. Here we were in this strange state strange place. And everything I had was hanging on this, this marriage and, and it was done as far as, as I could tell. So I was looking at the door and my life crumbling around me. And I just, I heard the Lord again, like I did the first time about the redemption. I heard him say, you can go. Like he totally gave me permission to walk out the door. And then he said, but if you stay, I have a better way. And I had no idea what that would mean or what that would look like or how long that would take. I think if I had known any of those things, I would have left. I would have walked out the door. But all I know is that I got up off the floor that night and we threw ourselves into everything that we could think of. I mean, we were in, we were at our small group leaders house that night asking for help. We just went from kind of living in secrecy to starting to bring it into the light, asking for help, asking for counseling, asking for guidance. So we went to our small group leader because they're what we, so they're who we knew, you know, we just went to who we know. You go to your friends, you go to your parents, you go to your loved ones. So you go to who you go to and they connected us with a pastor and we did some pastoral counseling for a little while till we felt better. So the story takes, I'd like to tell you that that was the end of the story and that healing began there, but that's not the case. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to continue and I'll get us quickly to the end of this, to, to sort of the end. And then we can, you can ask me some more questions, but yeah. <laughs> so we, um, we did this pastoral counseling until we felt better. And I think that's really important for those of you who are listening to hear, because when you go from darkness and secrecy and struggling in private to, to struggling in community, there's a relief that happens because we were not made to do life alone. And so, so we are as we're only as sick as our secrets. So there was a tremendous amount of relief that came in coming out of darkness and into light. So, and what I mean by that is simply talking about it with people, talking to pastors, talking to friends, involving a safe group of people in our process was very healing on the upfront. And 
So we felt tremendously better pretty fast. And I would say even the pornography stuff kind of diminished the more that Nick was living in community and the more that we were living in community as a couple. And by community, I don't just mean doing life with people, but doing honest life with people, telling them how we're really doing, you know, and what was really going on. So I think for, I think probably four or five, maybe even six months, things just felt a lot better. And I had always heard that time heals all wounds. And so I just assumed because we were both pursuing the Lord and we had done a little bit of counseling and we were feeling better that time was healing this thing. And so we kind of went on about life. We started having kids. So now, so when it first started, we didn't have any kids. And we, we had a baby and we were moving into what was going to be um, kind of our a dream house where we were going to raise our family. We're starting to talk about having more kids and building careers and just growing life. And, and again, remember the numbness that I was telling you about with the pornography. I don't even remember when or where the bomb dropping cycle started again. Only this time, even more powerless because we had healed as, as far as I knew, as far as I thought we had healed. And but then porn eventually started making its way back into the cycle of our relationship again. And I had no idea what to do. I just didn't know what to do, Rachel. It was like, it was, was a pretty dark time. You know, I've just, as a young mom, as a new mom, I felt very alone and really like, Lord, this is not why you told me to stay. This is not, surely this is not what you had in mind when you said I have a better way. And as we always had, our cycle was to just keep going and to muscle through and to power through it. So one day he came home with a box full of his things and, um, I was like, what are you doing? He came home early from work with a box full of his things. And he said he lost his job because he had been accessing pornography at work. And I, this was the last little thread of my security because I would say that I didn't trust him very much, but I trusted him and his work. You know, I trusted him financially to support us and to lead our family that way. And I, I knew that he would never do anything to jeopardize our safety and security to that end. So the fact that he lost his job, it was like just this aha moment. It was this light bulb of like, holy moly, wait a minute. For all the years that we have struggled, I was like, this is not a struggle. This is not a thing that you're struggling with. This is an addiction. Like this thing is going to take everything we give it and more, you know, to the bitter end. So this is either going to stop here. We're going to address this as an addiction or I'm done, or this is done. You know, this is, we can't keep living this way. So it was, it was a, a powerful fork in the road. And I just, everything changed in that moment because we, we lost we could just quickly, we lost everything. We lost our home. We lost, we couldn't move into the house we were buying. We were too late in the process. We had to sell the house we were living in. We went couch hopping from friend to friend with a kid and a dog and all our stuff in a storage unit. And he had no job in that time. I found out I was pregnant with twins and they were high risk and was going to require hospitalization. And we were just learning all of this while we had no health insurance and we're living on a couch. I mean, this addiction took not just our relationship, but every, literally everything we had, we were back to nothing. We were back to building from nothing or, or at our end. And I knew that it was make it or break it in that moment. And what, and where we went next was going to be up to my husband was going to be up to Nick, what he was willing to do and the kind of help he was willing to get. And so 
fast forward, we got connected with an amazing affair recovery program that our church had was just in the launching stages. We participated in a pilot program and and it was a 13 week, very intensive affair recovery course that we did with a couple of other couples. And it was, it was intense. Um, it was intense. And I learned in that time, of course, all these red flags that I didn't know how to identify or what made us vulnerable to this. We learned a lot of the why and the how we got where we were. And we learned a lot of the what we needed to do to dig out of it. And so we just, you know, there's a part of it where you do what you can do. And then there are parts of it where only God can do the healing work. And so we just really submitted to a good, I mean, that program was 13 weeks, but I would think our, I would say our journey of healing was really a couple of years of very intensive work and counseling that, that came from there. Wow. Okay. So I have so many questions that came up, but <laughs> the first thing I actually want to start with, I love that you hit on the emotion thing. I'm, I'm always telling my clients that, that you really can't pick and choose with emotions, which ones you turn on and which ones you turn yeah. off. They all kind of just, uh, when you numb one type of emotion, eventually you end up being numb to just everything, even the good things. And so I would love to know right now, like even you retelling this story, what kind of emotions come up for you now? Hmm. That's a great question. I, so this was a, this was 12 years ago now. So when you hear me talking about this and you don't hear a lot of emotion in my voice, this is 12 years of healing later. When I look back, I guess the emotion that I feel, I feel empathy. I feel empathy for her. Mm. I feel empathy for her. I, I do, I don't feel regret. I used to feel regret. I used to feel regret and some shame. There were a lot of years of shame in there for me. But now when I look back, I feel empathy because I feel like I understand her. Mm. I know where she was sitting. And I do, I wish, it's not regret, but I do wish, we all wish, right, that there are some things that if we could go back and talk to ourselves, things I would tell her. Things about her worth and her value, things about her identity, um, her being me, of course, yeah, <laughs> and her being an, and her being any of you who are, who hear my story and think that's where I'm sitting. That's mm -hmm. where I'm sitting right now. So I do. I just want to say, if you're hearing this and you identify with my story, there is no there's no shame and there's no stones. And it's not your fault that you are where you are. Um, and it's not your, your husband's fault. If he's struggling where Nick, where Nick was to some extent, it's not his fault either. It's not about pointing fingers and casting blame. It is a journey of self-discovery and, and it is a journey of, of identity and, and letting the Lord speak to exactly where you are. So I just want to give you permission. If you can hear my voice right now to be exactly and fully where you are, if you're numb and you're hearing me talk about numbness and you're like, I think that's me. I just want to say it's okay to be present in that moment. And that's progress right there. If you hear that and it wakes something up inside of you to say, I think that's where I am. I want to say, welcome to the table. You know, the Lord says, the Bible says that the Lord has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. So I just want to say, welcome to the table. And you, there is a feast prepared before you, even in this impossible moment. So even in the grief, even in the pain and the trauma of being numb because traumatic things are happening in your life, there's a table prepared before you that you are invited to dine at. And so, so I just want to say welcome to the table if that's you. Today's episode is brought to you by Joymail. 
the monthly newsletter I release that's full of resources that deliver a little joy and practical action steps into your inbox and life. To sign up, simply head to rachelgilbert.com, click the Start Here tab, and sign up for the newsletter right there. Oh, that's such a good word. So how did you stop the numbing? And what what would your be your piece of advice, to, again, to somebody who's listening who's like, yep, that's me, I'm numb. But they are kind of feeling like, how do I get out of that? Okay, so what's hard in a short interview is like, you know, we're talking 12 years of process yeah. and, you know, 30 <laughs> minutes of time. So it's so hard to spit it out so fast. So this is the first thing. You don't need all the steps, just the next one. You do not need to think about how do I wake up and not be numb anymore? That's too big of a bite for you to take. That's Mm. just, it's just too much. My process was long and slow and it took, and and I could not do it alone. It absolutely required help. I, you need professional help. I'm a major fan of pastoral counseling, but I do believe that there that there is a level of professional help needed here. The kind of trauma, the kind of wound created by infidelity is one, it's a unique, it's just, it's a very unique process, the coming out, the recovering from infidelity. And it takes two very committed people. And that kind of commitment doesn't always come at the exact same time. It won't always be that you and your spouse are both at the same place at the same time, ready to give it your all. So you're going to need a support system and some professional help. So I would say, regardless of whether or not the marriage is ready for help. So this is not dependent on whether or not your spouse is ready to be fully clean or whether or not you're ready to work on it together. If you are numb and waking up or you're in, you feel trapped in the cycle of just spinning, like infidelity happened, whether it was last week or 10 years ago, and you feel like you're still just spinning around it. The first step for you, I think is just getting some help for yourself. Um, If you have not talked to someone you could start with a trusted friend or a trusted pastor, but I strongly advocate for some professional counseling as well. Uh, there are some great resources. Uh, so I'm Gateway Church is a place where I'm most closely connected. We have online resources available to anybody, anywhere. You do not have to be a Gateway member. So I'll make sure that we link, you know, that we link that and you have access to some of our programs there. That's available to anybody listening. I also strongly recommend there's a place called the Affair Recovery Center out of Austin, and that is Rick Reynolds, is the therapist who runs the program there. That's a great resource. They have a lot of online resources um, as well as weekends. You can fly in and attend weekend intensives and, and an online couples program. There's help. You're not alone. I think that's the, that's the bottom line is knowing there's help and you're not alone. And the first step is just taking the baby step of pursuing some sort of help for yourself. Yeah. I love how you made that so simple that you don't need to know all the steps, just what's the next step. And that just is yeah. so manageable and, you know, bite size. And I just love that. Uh, you mentioned when you were telling your story that, um, you know, you, you kind of looked back and thought, there were flag, red flags that you see now and things. I would love for you to share some red flags, not just with people, because you said this in the beginning, you know, marriage crisis, mm-hmm. infidelity is a big thing that is a marriage crisis, but there's a lot of different things that bring crisis into a marriage. Um, That's right. And so for anybody listening who is just straight up struggling in marriage or maybe is married and isn't struggling right now, but is like, well, what? red flags should I be looking for? You know, which things are things that, you know, would be like, Ooh, we should, we should pay attention to that. Yeah. Well, I think secrecy is a big thing. I think any place where you are hiding or your spouse is hiding is a red flag. And 
because marriage is meant to be, God designed marriage to be a place of oneness where everything's on the table and everything's exposed naked and unashamed, right? Adam and Eve were created naked in the garden and connect perfectly connected in intimacy with each other and with God. So I would say if there are places where you're hiding yourself from your spouse or you feel your spouse is hiding themselves from you or either one of you are hiding from God, hiding in secrecy, I would say is the big red flag. Now, saying that I, you know, I feel like fear and anxiety when I say that because everybody's hiding something. Okay. So I just let's level the table to say, there's not a person who gets married who doesn't have some red flags in their relationship going in. And so that there's a journey just in that, in the hiding and the openness and learning what intimacy is and how to be open. But I would say if there are places where you are guarded or your spouse is guarded, getting some help to open up those spaces, whether it's finances, you know, some credit card you've got that you don't want to share or a bank account that somebody doesn't know about or a phone or a social media account that you use that another one that the other one doesn't have access to, or it's not about going on a witch hunt to find somebody to find your spouse doing something wrong, but it is about saying, Hey babe, what is going on here? Like, what's that about for you that you don't want to share that account with me? Or what's that about that we don't share passwords or bank accounts or you name it, you know, what's that about that, that, what are you afraid of? You know, what, what is keeping us from being fully open with one another? And I think the other thing for me, the secrecy, I I don't think that the secrecy for us was insidious. Like, I don't think he was desperately trying to hide, nor was I, I think in hindsight, I can see that we were, we didn't really know how to communicate. So communication is a big, big deal. It's not just how to fight. Well, for, for me, I, Nick is more aggressive and I'm a little more passive. So that combination for me meant like, if we, if we were going to get into, let's not even say fight, let's just say conflict. If we were going to conflict, so have disagreement, something as basic as just a disagreement, he would attack that thing head on. And I would rather turtle shell and hide and run away. And so that's a pretty, that's a kind of deadly combination just because what it means is I did everything in my power to keep conflict from happening. You know, that's kind of a family role that I carried when I was young and Um, again, that's a different kind of conversation for another, for another time, but that's so familiar to me. You know, we reach in our, when we get married, we just, we kind of reach in our tool belt and grab the only thing we have. And what we have is all we, is what we know and what we know comes from our family of origin. So there's gold in digging into that a little bit, figuring out what is this tool? I didn't even try to pull out a hammer, you know, and that's just, that's just what I pulled out. Cause it's what I know. Cause it's what my parents used or it's what I did before marriage. And so now it's just what I automatically on autopilot do. So learning how to use different tools and communicating and to come fully to the table is a, is a, maybe not a red flag, but it's something to pay big attention to. Yeah. Oh, that communication one is huge, huge, huge. I've seen that in my own marriage. And then again, in people I counsel that, uh, that when pe- it's almost like you're speaking two different languages. And so then when you do come together, it's, you don't, you, you leave the conversation more frustrated. So then it's basically reinforcing why even have these hard conversations? Cause we just leave frustrated, you know? And so that, that's, that's right. so huge. That's so huge. I love that. And I love how practical those tips are. Um, Let's see. Oh, man, I have so much more for you. So I want to figure out which way does the Lord want to take this? I actually wrote down something that you said that I do want to circle back around to actually two more things. 
And you say this, uh, really, this is your heart behind marriage ministry, is that you say that a healthy we starts with a healthy me. Isn't that right? Did I did I yes. say that correctly? Yes, Can you ex- exactly. Ex- That's exactly right. Yeah. Can you ex- um, expound on that for us? I just, I love that statement so much. Yeah. Yeah. That one's just an easy one to hold on to. I'm sure that needs to be credited to somebody somewhere. I don't remember <laughs> where I picked that one up, but we say that a lot in a fair recovery. Healthy me starts with a healthy or healthy we starts with a healthy me. Because a lot of people live stuck in miserable marriages. So again, we can take infidelity off the table because that may not be your story. But let's just talk about if you're just kind of miserable, like if marriage is just not a happy place for you, because you're just stuck in some cycles and you feel very, very powerless to break the cycle. And you cannot control. This is like just the hard lesson that every married person learns. You can't control your spouse. I don't have any control over his process. I have no control over his journey. I have no control over his relationship with the Lord or his relationship with other people or how he sees himself. And so I can, I will feel very powerless if I feel like what needs to change in our relationship is the way he is doing something. And I think that's really a trap of the enemy. So for me, let's put that in context of my story. For me, I felt powerless to the pornography. I felt like this pornography is so damaging to us for so many reasons and it needs to stop. And that's his problem, not mine, but I don't know what to do. How do I make him stop looking at pornography? So how do I dial that back and find some power in that situation. And again, I mean, it's not to be repetitive, but it kind of goes back to the same thing. You don't need all of the steps. You just need a next one. And so healthy, so boundaries. So let's talk about boundaries for a second. So a boundary is not an attempt to control my husband. It is an attempt to protect myself. And they, God gives us some pretty clear boundaries in scripture. So So pornography is a thing that obviously violates our marriage covenant. So it would be healthy to erect some boundaries in that area. So generally, I'm not a fan of if-thens. Like, if if you do this, then I'm going to do this. But this is an area where there are some pretty clear, there are some pretty firm scriptural boundaries. So to say, I don't know, for a boundary, like some baby step boundaries might be, first of all, access. So if you're wrestling with pornography, in order to feel safe continuing in this relationship, the way it looks right now, I'm going to need passwords to your accounts, or I'm going to need you to take a sabbatical from social media. I'm going to need you off this because it's too much of a trigger for me. And it's a place where you're really falling a lot. And so I'm going to need you to, you know, remove that from your life for a time while we take a step together to focus on healing us. So let's just start with that basic boundary. I'm not telling you what to do. It's just the first example that came to mind. (laughs) Um, So I think erecting some boundaries is a way to start protecting me, just a way to start creating a safe space for my heart to heal. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Well, because, you know, you decided to stay in the marriage and work on it. But at the same time, you weren't going to just stay and be a, you know, a doormat that could just be walked all over. Is that kind of essentially what you're saying here? Yeah. Yeah. For me in that season, um, we, I was pregnant. I ended up in, I was in the hospital for two months before my twins were born. 
And our whole life fell on my husband. And I knew, I don't, I don't know how to describe the way the peace of God held me in those days, but I was a hundred percent okay at that point with whatever direction the marriage went. It wasn't about saving the marriage. I believed in who Nick could be, but it was going to be his choice, you know, and I believed in who I could be, but it was, you know, it was at that point, it was going to be the fork in the road was really Nick's choice. And so it was, here's the path. Like I'm going to the hospital with these babies and there's this program that we can take to start to get some help. And, and had he not chosen to do whatever it took to, to save our relationship, our journey would have looked differently. And I want to say this too. I just feel led to say this, not everyone is going, not every spouse is going to choose the the path that my husband took. And I believe with my whole heart that had our journey gone a different way and, and the worst, let's say the worst thing had happened and he wasn't repentant and he didn't want to change and wasn't willing to walk through healing. I believe that although our life would look different and our family would look different, I do believe that my heart would still be willing to have a conversation like this with you because Mm -hmm. The journey is so individual. The journey of healing with the Lord, it was it is available to everyone everywhere, no matter what your spouse chooses. So it's not always about saving the marriage. I think that to me, scripture is clear that God loves marriage. He does. He loves marriage, but it was never meant to be our idol. It was never meant to be, you know, the hill that we die on and a place where we sacrifice the, our relationship with him truly for this idol of an institution, you know, he loves marriage, but he loves you more. He loves you more than he loves your marriage. So he's very interested in your abundant life. And in the case of infidelity, sometimes both parties are willing to do whatever it takes and sometimes they're not. And so if you, again, if you're hearing this and you're living this or something else, a version of this, and your spouse is not choosing the marriage, the Lord still has life and abundance for you. And so your hope is not lost. The hope is not in the marriage. It's mm-hmm. not in saving the marriage. The hope is in your life with the Lord and all of the future that he has for you. So I want you to hear that in my story too. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good word of encouragement because you don't always hear that in these types of stories. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm yeah, so good. Okay. Well, before we get off here, I mean, you've given nothing but words of encouragement the whole way through, but do you have any just final thoughts or anything you want to share that you, you really hope listeners, like you said, I mean, there's no way to fully unpack all of your no 12 way. years of everything, which is why I no. do hope that everybody listening will go check out um, the pod, your podcast and yes. listen in. Cause I'm, I'm sure, do you tell a bit more or do you go into your story there too as well? Oh yeah. So our story is in detail on the podcast and then laced in the first couple of episodes. If you go all the way back to the beginning, we tell our story in great detail. Um, and Nick is on there with me too. So his voice is, is a part of it, which is a totally different dynamic as well. So, and then, and then every episode past that are just sort of, um, I don't know, it's a little bit like a fair recovery 101. Some of the big pieces that we learned, some of what it's going to take to move forward, what some of the basics of a fair recovery and every episode will point you to resources and help you connect with some of the things I mentioned earlier. So it's been about a year. I do want to be transparent. It's been about a year since we posted any new content on there, um, but it's there for you. And I want you to access it because it's still 
totally relevant. So yeah, yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm glad that you um, said that, because one of the things that I wanted to end with is, of course, like I said, we basically got to introduce you and you're, you know, like you, you kind of, it's kind of like, hey, here's an introduction to your story. Like you said, there's so many yeah. angles of it and so many questions that I actually wrote down that I, you know, didn't get a chance to ask. But I do think that if you're listening and you're very, this um, story just resonated with you and you want to know more, definitely go listen to their podcast. But Becca, one of the things I love about you is you are so, you're just so obedient. Like that to me is, um, it just really speaks out. Like I've watched your life in many ways and so, like, j- you're just so obedient. And so one of the th- obedience, I mean, yes, we've, we've heard obedience all throughout your story of God gave you the next step and you said, okay, I'll do the next step. You know, like you always, yeah. you kept taking yeah. those baby next steps, but, um, you know, you started the, the podcast and then the Lord told you to lay it down, right? Like, or told yeah. you to stop doing it. And so you were obedient in that, but you know, I, I, we were talking before the show and I was like, but those episodes are still out there. Like, let's keep letting those get down. Like the story is still there. The resources are still there. And so you were obedient to put out what you felt like the Lord told you to pick out, put out. And maybe he will, I don't know what your plans are for it. Maybe in the future, you'll pick it back up. I don't know, but I just love watching your obedience. It's fun. Mm, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think we think we're going one way and it's a great idea. I mean, this, I am obviously very passionate about marriage and crisis and, and just God's abundance in those things. And, but COVID changed everybody's life, right? I mean, if nothing else, COVID just flipped everything upside down. And so we thought we were going one direction and God's like, let's go this one. And, you know, in the end, at the end of the story, we'll say, okay, this, I, I see what he was doing here. So yeah, sometimes just as in marriage and, and in seasons of trauma and in beautiful seasons, when God's taking you a direction that seems like you're just, you know, totally out of your depth and over your skis, so to speak, and just have, when you are sure that it's completely impossible in your own strength, that's probably a good sign that you're, that you're following pretty close to where the Lord wants you to go. Um, and so yeah. Into the unknown we go. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. All right. Well, thank you again for taking time to come on today. I cannot wait to introduce you to the listeners and just for them to get their hands on your resources as well. Yes. Thank you for having me, Rachel. It's good to see you. Well, it's time for Let's Get Real Practical. This is the part of the show that we take the topic discussed with today's guest, and we get into some practical steps you can implement into your life right now. Now, Becca already did a great job of giving practical tips for anyone going through a hardship in marriage. Instead of giving you more tips right now, I felt led to pray over marriage. And as always, if anything came up today that felt overwhelming or hard or just something that you really don't feel like you can walk through on your own, please reach out to a licensed professional counselor and get the help that you or your marriage might need. All right. So as I said, I'm going to pray over marriages. I just really felt strongly that the Lord reminded me that those of you listening, you're in my territory. If you missed that talk therapy I recorded a few weeks ago uh, called Stand Your Ground, you might go listen to that because I talked about the territory that God's entrusted to us and how we can stand our ground over it. So I really believe that those of you who listen to this podcast, you're in my sphere of influence. You're in the territory that God has entrusted to me to stand in the gap for. 
So I want to do that today over your marriage. So if you're able to, you can turn your palms up in a posture of just receiving. And um, if not, either way, we're just going to speak life over marriages today. So Father, I thank you so much that marriage was your idea. Thank you, Father. I also thank you, Lord, just for the things that you brought up today. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that you are a redeemer. So Lord, I just speak a life over every single person who's listening. Whether they're married, single, divorced, whatever season they're in, that you would just speak directly to their heart as an individual first and foremost. That you would love on them right where they are. That where shame and regret and bitterness and resentment or anything that's not from you is there, that it would just go in the name of Jesus and that they would just be filled with your hope, your peace, your love, your joy, all the fruits of the Spirit. We're just in agreement with you today over a hedge of protection over marriages, that you would just surround marriages like a shield and make them strong. Reveal anything that needs to be dealt with. Soften our hearts towards one another, towards ourselves, and towards you. It's in Jesus' precious and mighty name that we pray. Amen. Well, friends, that concludes our show for today. Hey, as always, if God spoke a word to you, please leave a review. Let us hear it. Let us read it. Let other listeners know about it. I always love reading those reviews. I pray that this Real Talk episode brought you one step closer to living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel. Rachel.